Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paulisari, and I am your host. In this episode, I talk to Tim Corcoran. Tim is a wilderness guide as well as a purpose guide. He founded the Twin Eagles Wilderness School together with his wife Janine, and more recently he founded a purpose guiding organization called Purpose Mountain, where he supports individuals in the process of nature-based purpose discovery. In my understanding, there is a strong connection between nature and the process of finding one's purpose, and in this episode we explore that connection. Among other things, we have a look at the concepts of ecological awakening, soul initiation, and soul image. We also look at the specific methods that are used in nature-based purpose discovery, such as the soul quest, the soul wander, and the soul sit. Tim shares stories from some of his own vision quests, And he also shares his soul image and the story of how he came to find it. Before we dive into the conversation, I also want to mention that Tim was my mentor during the Purpose Guy training. So, here's my conversation with Tim Corcoran. I hope you'll enjoy it. Okay, so welcome to the Life Purpose podcast, Tim. Thank you, Polly. It's great to be here. Yeah, great to have you here. So, yes, in this episode, we are going to focus on the meeting between nature and purpose discovery, nature connection and purpose discovery. Hmm. And you are, of course, the perfect person to talk to this about with all of your experience as a wilderness guide and vision quest guide and and a purpose guide. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so many people who work with purpose don't emphasize nature connection at all. So obviously it's possible to spend all one's time in a city and still work with purpose. So what is it, what is it about nature and nature connection that is so in your from your perspective, so important mm-hmm. in terms of clarifying one's purpose? Well, that's a great question, and I think it's such an important question for the times we're living in. Um, mm. On the most simple level, when uh, to discover our purpose, I, I really look at, at that process not so much as a spiritual process, Polly, but as an ecological process. And what I mean by that is that all of life on earth um, has a unique niche that we occupy, a, a place in the web of life. And I really look at the, at the purpose discovery process as that of discovering our place in the web of life. Um, mm. Uh, you know, there's a, a little phrase I use sometimes, right, that to, to discover our purpose is to discover our nature. And the way we discover our nature is through experiencing nature, right? Mm. So so the natural world reflects our, our 
base level uh, purpose, our powers, our gifts back to us in an absolutely clear way. And there's a, there's a whole teaching I utilize called nature is mirror where we have an opportunity to see ourselves, right? I, I think this is something that we could probably agree on is that it's the, the most difficult person to, uh, to, to see clearly is ourself. Mm. And, and so, yes, there's a variety of technologies and strategies to, to, to work with other humans, but when we expand our understanding of of life and and our our sphere of of life itself and even what we consider a person right because there are human people but there are also four-legged people and bear people and there are tree people and there are plant people and when we open up to this greater understanding then there's so much more that comes through um I think the other mm. the other reason that, that is so critically important is that um, when it comes to nature connection, I would offer that uh, our our basic connection to the natural world and cultivating that, developing that is a is a basic critical uh, developmental task for us as human beings. That just like we recognize, you know, attachment theory that the level of connection we have with our parents and especially our mother impacts us for a lifetime. Um, and we can extend that to soul, right? And purpose that we need to have that attachment to soul and that that too will impact us for a lifetime. And the other uh, huge one that I think is so often missed, frankly, because uh, I think so many people have not experienced this themselves, is that basic attachment to nature. And I don't think of this as extracurricular or optional. This is about our human connection to our biosphere. This is about us connecting to the to our basic habitat where we have where we have evolved from. And so when this connection comes on board, it stimulates all of the deeper psycho-spiritual processes and activates uh, purpose. You know, it was it's uh, I'll, I'll share one one more little piece here. Um, for years, I just worked as a wilderness guide, and uh, prior to starting my my new organization, Purpose Mountain, about five years ago. And what I found, Polly, over and over. Now, I, I've always been a very purpose driven individual. I was uh, always been very driven in that way, uh, and that's what drove me to to start the wilderness school and be a wilderness guide. And increasingly, what I found through the years was that when people made the connection to nature, you know, people were coming to me saying, okay, I want to have a vibrant, alive connection with the natural world. I want to feel myself as part of nature. I know that's true intellectually, but I don't experience that. Uh, and so I would take them on these journeys. That was the intention, right? The intention was not connecting with purpose, uh, not mm. explicitly. And what happened was, over and over, those individuals who really made that deep connection to nature, there was an organic response. It was like that was the deepest foundational developmental work they could do that was the seeds of the purpose discovery process. So people started having these big purpose awakenings over and over and over. And, of course, the healing journey started to unfold unprompted, right? It wasn't their specific intention, and I began to get a greater understanding that uh, that this really is a core 
developmental need for us as human beings that's been lost. And so, you know, these days I get a lot of adults coming to me saying, gosh, you know, yeah, I want to discover my purpose. Maybe they, they like nature, they like going hiking or this kind of a thing or gardening or whatnot, but they haven't gone through a deep initiation of connection into the, uh, into the natural world. And so um, what's so interesting is I, at my wilderness school, I also work with a lot of youth. And particularly when, when young people make that deep connection early on, developmental, developmentally, they're not even quite ready to ask the bigger questions of why am I here? And, you know, what are my deeper gifts to offer the world? But when that nature connection comes on board, uh, especially for those young people, by, gosh, by the time they're 18, 19, 20, all of that purpose is coming online unprompted just naturally and they're empowered mm. and, and they face themselves and they're going through soul initiation and, and the whole bit. And, and for those adults who didn't get that, um, when we go back and fill in those developmental tasks, those developmental needs, it makes the entire purpose discovery process so much uh, easier and, and more fun and less resistance, less struggle. Uh, I could go on and on, but, uh, but those are a few thoughts. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Hmm. Let's see, there are many directions that come up here where we could continue exploring. But I think I would like to go in a very practical direction here. And mm, so how, how does nature-based uh, purpose discovery happen? Like what is a typical thing that you would invite a client to do in in this process sure well and, and I, I think i want to speak to the field of purpose discovery these days um of course which you are very well versed in and i'm uh, i'm not sure about our listeners how 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 versed they are in the kind of the various uh, different purpose discovery offerings out there but as you mentioned earlier Polly, there's a variety of approaches that really don't involve purpose uh, that that don't involve uh, nature connection directly yeah. in the purpose discovery process. And then we have a few that will incorporate it may, maybe a bit, right? Maybe, mm -hmm. uh, and there's some that might might focus on just like a uh, perhaps a single vision quest or something, which is great and certainly better than nothing. But what I would offer is that, uh, and certainly my experience with myself and with my clients and, and my students through the years uh, has been that to involve a regular connection to nature uh, and awaken that, uh, to facilitate that ecological awakening, um, absolutely, as I was saying, absolutely, absolutely, uh, brings the process that much more alive. It makes it more efficient. It makes it um, robust and, and clears so much uh, resistance as well. So how we do that. Um, I look at a variety of different approaches um, that are really based on indigenous connection to the natural world, right? I've had the blessing of working with a number of indigenous teachers and elders over the last 20 years. Uh, and a big, that's a, been a big part of my life's work. Um, so there's some simple, I, I kind of think of it in layered, in, in layers, right? There's there are, on the one hand, very big and uh, sometimes sexy and, and immersive and powerfully transformative um, 
intense experience such as the vision quest that might be anywhere from a day to four days immersing in wild nature uh, with the single intention, why am I here? Uh, very powerful. Uh, one of the things that happens in our modern world is we're so consumeristic based uh, and so goal oriented that people oftentimes look at that and they think of it as the penultimate um, process, uh, mm. right? The vision quest. And there's lots of examples of this through history. I'm sure you're familiar with whether it was Christ's 40 days in the desert or Muhammad in the cave, uh, all of these things, mm. uh, Buddha under the tree. And yet when we look back at those individuals and actually ask, okay, what was going on there? Think about the journey from, from the non you know, vision quest state to the vision quest state. These were, these are older times when people lived in strong connection to the natural world, when humanity had a stronger connection to nature, right? If we look back at history, it's only the past 100, 200 years that we've really gotten so far away from nature in our day-to-day experience, right? If we look back even, even a hundred years ago, like the 1900s, uh, maybe early 1900s, um, my gosh, you know, Kids grew up wild and, and half feral. And if you look at the stories and do the research, kids were, were wild children and all growing up with this robust connection to the natural world. And through that process, people face fears, right? I, I think of there's the kind of the five classic fears we go through um, and, and, and kids go through this if they have the opportunity. And if they haven't, then as adults, these are, are kind of mini rites of passage to get through, right? There's cold, wet, dark, alone, and bugs <laughs> are, are the big five. And there's so many adults I work with that are just afraid to go out there. And there's these irrational fears. Oh my God, am I going to be killed by a mountain lion or a bear or a rattlesnake? And the reality is, Polly, that it's no more dangerous than driving down the, the highway, you know, yeah. uh, or any of the number of things we do. Are there risks? Yes. But are those risks manageable? Of course. And But when that nature connection hasn't been established, when that ecological awakening hasn't happened, then all of those fears come in because it's the unknown and, and, and it's so easy to, for fear to set in. So back to my point. So if you think of the journey that individuals had to make in the old days, they were already so connected to nature so to spend four days fasting alone, there wasn't as big of a gap to cross from everyday life and consciousness to that space. And whereas for us here and now today, the modern person <laughs> uh, has a huge journey to go from, you know, basically uh, very, very little connection to the natural world uh, to that state of the vision quest. And so what's important then is to fill that gap, not just through a one-time immersive experience, but in a regular ongoing way. So I, I break it mm -hmm. down. There's something I call the soul wander. I work very, uh, uh, very carefully and, and very significantly with it. So if we think of the vision quest as maybe, well, for some people, it might just be a once in a lifetime experience for others. Uh, a lot of folks like to do that every few years or even every year. Mm -hmm. um, beyond once a year, it's uh, it, it's not very effective. Mm -hmm. And so then how do we maintain that connection with nature? In the meantime, 
uh, there's something called the soul wander and, that I work with. And the soul wander is, you know, anywhere from a few hours to maybe a day long experience of immersing in the natural world. It may involve fasting a bit or not, um, where a, an individual has a chance to really slow down, right? Really come back to themselves. And the whole notion of a soul wander is that it's not a soul hike. <laughs> so it's mm. not about getting from point A to point B, right? This is so key because our awareness follows our intention. So for all those hikers and out there, and, and listen, I'm a hiker too, nothing against it. But when we're so focused on getting to point from point A to point B, we miss so much. And when we really slow down, the idea with the soul wander is that we go out without time and without destination. And it is a one giant experience of surrender following the compass of the heart, the intuition, where an individual has a chance to experience nature as a mirror of the inner journey that's happening. So the forms and the species and the elements of nature reflect the inner process that's happening for an individual and that might that might be their healing process right and it, it's also their visionary development process there are certain powers of nature whether it be a tiny ant or a great whale or a mountain or the creek or the wind right or a single drop of dew on a blade of grass and these will mystically mythically reflect uh, both the inner healing journey, as I said, as well as the visionary developmental journey. And then they'll reflect powers and processes within the individual. And this is where some good mentoring helps, right? Because so much of the process uh, is, is yes, is, is the experience itself. But time and time again, I, I mean, I would give it over 95% of the time when I work with clients the real depth and meaning of the experience of whether it's a vision quest or a soul wander, or there's even a smaller one I'll talk about called the soul sit comes through mentoring and comes through reflection and mirroring. Um, you know, these aren't experiences we're meant to go through alone and to have a guide who has gone through the process and understands these things um, is critically important. So uh, so that's the soul wander. I could talk a lot more about the soul wander, but the basic idea is, yeah, maybe anywhere from a couple hours to a day-long process of going out unmediated, right? So no, not with a kayak or with a canoe and not with a mountain bike, not even with a dog or a friend, but just you alone in as much wild nature as is accessible. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a grand wilderness area, uh, although it's helpful if it is, um, but it could be a skate park. It could be... Um, you know, uh, uh, any kind of a natural area where, where the, we can get a minimization of human influence. Mm. And, and yeah, that, that journey of surrendering, quieting the mind, allowing nature to speak to the individual and allow one's soul to connect, right? Because at, at the end of the day, right, our soul is both that part that is most unique to us, it is very much ours, but it is also that place where we find ourselves interconnected with all of all things, all of life. So it simultaneously yeah. belongs to us and belongs to the world. Um, maybe I'll pause there. I know I've shared a lot. So, yeah, that's great. Um, 
Yeah, one question that comes from me um, is how how does a soul wonder differ from a soul quest? Yeah, so and there's different terminology, right? So yeah. a soul quest might be, uh, I think, in, in many circles, is kind of referred to as like a mini vision quest, maybe a day long mm-hmm. or maybe two day long quest. Uh, there's mm-hmm. also individuals, and sometimes I'll, I'll use the terminology vision quest to refer to a single day experience. Traditionally, a vision quest would be would have been seen as a three or four day experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so with a soul with with a vision quest or a soul quest. Um, that's a strong enough and large enough container that a person could really meaningfully build up to that. And, and the preparation and the, the integration before and after are critically important. So they don't really exist by themselves. And that's such an, an important, I can't overstate mm. the, the importance of that. Yeah. But those are big enough containers, Polly, where an individual can make a deep um, connection with their purpose uh, again, with proper mentoring and preparation, proper mirroring and integration guidance before and after, they're strong enough containers to really fully answer that question, uh, what is my purpose? What is my vision? Why am I here on planet Earth? Mm. I mean, I went through my first vision quest when I was 23, I think, and um, and it it really it laid out my entire life path. Uh, um, there's some would say that any further vision quests are simply clarification quests after the first, because everything is offered in that first one. Mm. Uh, but for those of us who are very strongly committed to the spiritual journey, it, it can be very helpful to do them as often as once a year. So how that compares and contrasts to the soul wander is a soul wander, like I said, might, that might be something you could do once a week or once a month. Mm. And you know, it could involve some light fasting, like I said, or not. Um, and it's not a big enough container. I don't recommend people bring the the question or the intention of what is my purpose? Um, cause it's simply not a large enough container to hold that. What it is really helpful for is, um, as I said, reflecting the inner healing process that occurs as you know, and, and which shows up as resistance to purpose mm. as well as, um, hints along the way. Now, I will say, I definitely have had clients where a bigger process unfolds, deep soul encounters, or I've even had soul initiations happen during uh, a a soul wander. So it is possible, but it's rare. And I don't recommend people going out with, as I said, with the intention, what is my purpose? Um, And so you can, a person might go out with the question of, uh, or the intention of what is the next step of my purpose. So they might go out with the intention of uh, what's 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 being born in me, what's dying in me, right? These are the two kind of base laws of nature is that everything is born and everything dies. And when we go into nature and immerse in nature, we see this be the beauty of life reflected in such a myriad of diverse ways. And we also see de- the reality of death and those reflect the inner journey of growth for us as humans and the all the little deaths that we experience of all limiting beliefs and old ways of being and ways of relating to others and to the world and to ourself and that those deaths have to happen for space to be cleared for something new to be born um 
And so, but but a soul wanderer is a is a robust enough experience that you know, uh, and, and takes enough time to process, right, uh, and integrate that a person wouldn't really want to do it more than once, maybe twice a week. Uh, and so then from there, we would come. I would contrast it to a daily routine that I like to encourage, uh, which I might call the soul sit. Oftentimes in the Nature Connection Network, we would refer to this as a sit spot or a secret spot. The idea of the soul sit, Polly, is um, a place that one could go daily. You certainly don't have to go daily, but, you know, five times a week, sometimes three times a week. And I recommend people go for at least half an hour, right? And it's an opportunity to find a place in nature that calls to you almost magnetically or intuitively that you adopt. And it's, this, it's important to go to the same place over and over because you're developing a relationship with it. So just like with a person there's layers of depth that can occur with commitment to the, a person over time that will never occur if a person is always jumping, you know, from one to the next, to the next, to the next. And so I say 30 minutes because it takes about 20 minutes for nature when, when a human being, when most human beings, uh, particularly those who don't have a, a robust connection to nature, walk out into the natural world. Even if you're quiet, it'll still take, it'll, it's a disturbance. And it will take the natural world, the, the animals, the birds, the plants, the trees, everything. It takes about 20 minutes, Polly, for nature to resume what we would call baseline or mm. its natural state. Now, that's if a person is sitting quietly, right? <laughs> Not <laughs> fidgeting and making a bunch of noise. And so what's experienced just on a physical level, the first 20 minutes is not representative of what's normally happening in the natural world, if that makes sense, because mm. nature is still transitioning back to baseline and after 20 minutes baseline has resumed and one can experience nature at its on its own terms in its own natural state and way of being and all of these are powerful opportunities to quiet the mind to open the senses right there's so such uh, great work that's been done with meditation and yet most people are experiencing this on a cushion inside a building Right, working on quieting the mind and, and the journey of enlightenment and all of that. And that's beautiful. I'm so glad it's happening, but something grand is missing. Right. Even if we look back at Buddha, where was he enlightened? It wasn't in an ashram on a cushion. He was yes. under the tree. And I think yes. so many people miss that. It, the tree, it's such so important, right? Yes. And so there's something for us to get back to when when we immerse in nature, our humanness is exposed, right? It's it's the five senses. One of the most powerful ways to cultivate a relationship with intuition and and really develop that, that's what I would consider a sixth sense, right? That's a common uh, way of looking at intuition. And what I think so many people miss is developing the five senses. And it's difficult to do that in the modern experience when we're surrounded by cars and loud noises and buildings. But when we immerse ourselves in nature, just the five senses, I mean, that is a wildly transformational process to sensitize, to take in the absolutely like intoxicating smell of perhaps pine bark uh, in the late afternoon with the sun beating down on it. That is just, oh, amazing. Or to, or to feast on the myriad of uh, shades of green uh, in, a sp in the springtime landscape as the trees are coming back and the leaves are coming back, or to feel the squish of cold mud between the toes, right? Um, this activates our deeper process and, and 
brings us back to who we are as human beings. And it's through the a robust connection with the five senses that the sixth sense can actually be born and developed. So important. So uh, again, I could go on and on, but I want to pause <laughs> there and see how all this lands for you. Yeah. Hi, sorry for interrupting. I would just like to take a brief moment to share a bit about what I do as a purpose guide. So are you a person who has devoted a significant part of your life to deep spiritual practice and who now wants to make a difference in the world but who doesn't really know where to start? Do you have a sense that something is calling to you but you can't grasp exactly what it is? It seems like it could be several different things and it's difficult to choose. What you would like is to get to a place where you feel fully aligned with your calling. A place where you are 100% engaged in contributing towards a better world in a way that feels deeply meaningful to you. So my solution to this dilemma would be to help you find your purpose. Because when you have that clarity about why you're here, why you're alive in this time and place, it's so much easier to choose. And when it's easier to choose, it's easier to get engaged in what you're doing without constant doubts about whether what you're doing is the right thing. So how do we do that? How do I help you get clear about your purpose? It's a process that is very much about connecting you to your soul, because your soul, the deepest part of yourself, is the part that knows your purpose. So the whole program, the Purpose Discovery Program, is very much centered around helping you get closer to your soul and to get information from your soul about your purpose and the different aspects of your purpose. We divide purpose into eight different facets, vision, powers, values, essence, giveaway, task, message and delivery system. And through different kinds of practices, you will gradually more and more clarify each of these throughout the process. Towards the end of the process, you're likely to have a very good soul-level understanding about why you're here. If this sounds interesting for you, you can book a free introductory session. It doesn't cost you anything, just a little bit of your time. We'll have a chat and we'll see if the program is the right fit for you and if you and I are a good fit to work on this together. So if you feel called, I really want to encourage you to go to my website and find the contact page and book a free session. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Thanks for listening. Yeah... Yeah, there was one term there that you mentioned that that seems quite central here, and I would love you to expand a little bit more on that. So soul initiation, what what do you mean by that? Yeah, so, um, well, again, if if we go back to the idea, uh, one of the ideas and kind of models I've been playing with is that there are and so I'll, I'll, I'll give a little background context and then answer your question. I, mm. I look at there being three primary awakenings that we need to make as modern human beings. Um, again, so so one would be what I would refer to as holing. And this is the, or the journey of emotional maturity. This is about coming to peace with our past, healing trauma, 
um, cultivating basic emotional maturity. So being aware of our emotions, being able to express them in healthy ways. Um, and generally this is the realm of, uh, of, of, of the ego, right. Of cultivating, um, ourselves and bettering ourselves as human beings, having healthy, loving relationships. So this is a key one. Uh, therapy addresses this men's work addresses this women's circles address this. Um, a lot of kind of classical coaching will oftentimes address this. Um, so that's one that what I would refer to as the journey of holding or emotional maturity. Two, the the second primary awakening is uh, is awakening to our soul or awakening to our purpose. And obviously, you and probably a lot of our listeners are familiar with this that we have a, a reason for taking form here as a human being, a unique reason, and it is our one of these primary awakenings is awakening to that. And so without getting too deep into it, um, there is uh, a process. The, the process of doing that involves what I would call multiple soul encounters. So moments where we touch our soul and, and our soul is reflected back to us that again, you know me, uh, I think nature is it's the ultimate context for that. And that could happen at a sit spot, at a soul sit. That could happen on a soul wander. Could certainly happens at a could happen during a vision quest. And then that builds Polly. So the the journey of, and so let me give some examples just to flesh that out. So an example yeah. of a soul encounter might be, um, well, I'll I'll, I'll give a uh, maybe a personal uh, example. Mm. This might be a good time for a story if I can. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What would be a good one? Uh, a good example of a soul encounter for me that I've experienced. Um, was so there was there was one point. Um, this was actually on my very first vision quest, and as much as I was yearning for a soul initiation, it didn't quite happen on this first quest. Uh, and, and people oftentimes do. It's very easy to get um, almost even obsessed with yearning for that soul initiation because what the soul initiation is is uh, really the penultimate uh, developmental process where an individual goes from being ego-driven to soul-driven, right? Where one transcends the ego enough to and has made a strong enough connection with soul that they can live a life that is driven by soul as opposed to a life that's driven by ego and, or we might even say uh, by our wounds. Um, that's kind of a different topic we could get into, but so a personal story for me was Polly. I was on my first vision quest. This was a, a traditional one, four days long fasting in a small area, just a 10 foot diameter circle. I was, I was in, that was my world for 96 hours. And at the time, I was very, very attached <laughs> to this yes. idea of a of the big vision, right? Of some big, multicolored, almost psychedelic event happening where a big, bright vision would come, right? I, I sometimes joke around about this, and I say, you know, I, I was I was yearning for something like a like a white winged buffalo to come sliding so... down a rainbow slide and deliver my grand vision to me, and. And I was looking for that, uh, you know, I, I had this concept in my head that, that it needed to look that way. Yeah. 
And as the four days progressed, uh, this never happened. (laughs) Not like that. I had various soul encounters, but not like that. Now, those moments can and do happen, but they're exceedingly rare. Um, And it's not helpful to to be attached to them and, and go after them. Much more helpful is to be attentive and surrender to the moment and receive whatever is happening as perfect and I was, as a young man, I was, like I said, maybe 23 years old. I was, I, that was, that was a struggle for me. Uh, I was very much attached to the big white winged Buffalo moment. And so by the time, um, the near, I was nearing the end of the, of the, of the vision quest, it was day four. I had been out there for 80 plus hours, maybe more, maybe 85. And I kind of had this moment of just like deep uh, sadness and surrender. And, you know, my ego was thinking, oh my God, I'm a failure. You know, the white winged Buffalo never came to me. Uh, now even my mentors had even told me, don't expect this. Mm -hmm. And yet my ego was so attached, right? It was so attached. And so I've had this moment where I had just, um, well, so, so further context is during the vision quest, I had had a numerous experiences where an inchworm, right? The little tiny worms that are maybe just a few centimeters long, maybe like an inch long, hmm. um, would, it would consistently show up on the back right side of my neck and I would brush it away. And I remember thinking at one point, I'm thinking, you know, would you leave me alone? I'm here on a vision quest. I'm trying to find my vision. I, I'm doing important sacred work, you know, leave me alone. You're, you're bothering me. You're distracting me. I'm waiting for my big white-winged buffalo, right? <laughs> Little did I know what was happening. So here, and this happened multiple times, three, four, five times throughout the quest. By the time I made it to the final night, uh, the quest was dawn to dawn. So there I was, day four, in the fi- it was nearing sunset. So I'm just in like the last 12 or so hours. And... I was so attached to this white-winged buffalo, and it was so difficult for me to realize, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't think this is going to happen. I just let it go, and I kind of fell to the ground. I think I was crying, and, and I just had this big moment of surrender where I was like, you know, um, I was just, I had nothing left. Um, all that ego drive had been, had, had left my body, and I was just in this kind of, this puddle of surrender <laughs> mm. there laying on the ground. And what happens? Uh, but sure enough, here comes the inchworm. Now this time, Polly, it was right in front of me. So I was watching mm. it. And you know how they walk, right? Their bodies are extended fully. And then they come, bring their body together. So there's the hump in the middle. Mm. And then they inch forward. And at this time in my life, I was... As con- further context, I was in such a place of, you know, and really the, the, the yearning for the white-winged buffalo was such a reflection of the perfect reflection of this. I was such in a place of wanting to be further ahead than I, wa- than I actually was, right? I was wanting that big vision and I wanted to kind of skip over the mundane stuff and give me the gold. And this was reflected in my relationships. I was having a hard time with my girlfriend at the time, always wanting the next thing. I was reflected in my mentoring. It was reflected in my professional life. Everywhere I looked, I saw it. And so here's inchworm coming along, just a, a, you know, a few centimeters, a few inches in front of my eyes. And he's inching along. And in that moment, um, something profound happened. I had lost all sense of separation. And I was really, you know, from a brain state, I was probably in a 
um, alpha or even uh, beyond alpha. I was probably in a theta or even delta uh, brain state. And I'd lost all sense of separation. And, and, and there was this magical moment, Polly, where I, I, it's hard to put this into words, but I'm t- I, I became that inchworm and the inchworm became me. And there was this deep sense of oneness and the sacredness of the preciousness of life mm. was suddenly, it took my breath away. And I was, I was there with it. And it, you know, it wouldn't have mattered if it was an inchworm or a buffalo or mm. a great cedar tree or a big river or just a blade of grass, even, it could have been. In this moment, it happened to be inchworm. And I was at one with it. And it was more than a metaphor uh, of, as a teacher. It was, it, there was an energetic transference of its innate power, its sacred power as a sacred form of life that transferred into my heart and into my soul. And in English words, the teaching was, slow down, Tim. Embrace what's here. Embrace the medicine of the inchworm. Take things one step at a time. All of life is sacred. You are sacred. Uh, you don't need to have the glory of a, of a <laughs> rainbow white-winged buffalo. A little inchworm is enough. Uh, there's no separation. And it was precisely what I needed. Not what I wanted, right? Not what, not what my ego wanted, but it was precisely what my soul wanted. And from that point forward, Polly, in my life, I mean, that was over 20 years ago, I walked truly with the medicine of inchworm. Inchworm mm. is like a deep ally from a shamanic stance. I, you know, I, I encountered the soul of inchworm mm. and there was a deep transfer there. So that's one story of a soul encounter that, um, that as what tends to happen for folks is people accumulate soul encounters and they tend to be powerful teachers guiding us, helping us to transcend the ego, as my story illustrates, and guiding us towards that bigger soul initiation that occurs on its timeline, not on my timeline. And I, I want to talk more about the soul initiation, but I want to pause there and see if you have any any reflections. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was wondering if you could, because inchworm, however, is not your soul image. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And so maybe this would be a good place to to share your soul image and, and your purpose. And, and yeah. Yes. Yeah, like great. Connection. Great. So I won't get into all the stories, but I, I went through this journey of, as I said, of acquiring multiple uh I shouldn't even say acquiring, but experiencing multiple soul encounters that were slowly building their way to a soul initiation. And, you know, there's different ways to phrase this. Different individuals, I think, are going could argue this. Uh, some people would, purists might say there's only a single soul initiation that can happen once. My perspective is an individual, and I think I've experienced this, could have multiple soul initiations, almost mm. like multiple major uh, chapters of life. Yeah. And uh, there's different terminology we could use, but um, let's see. So, so I've, I, so yeah. And, and tying this in with soul image. So what is soul image? I mean, let's talk about that. Um, soul image is, 
a, a terminology that refers to <clears throat> one way to identify the our soul, our, our core essence level soul that dwells at the center of our being. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was it? Uh, I, I don't know if I forgot this right. Was it David White that said uh, to connect with the image that dwells at the center of your being? He had that quote. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's referring to, so soul speaks to us in image. Images is like the oldest language, I believe, on planet Earth. And this is another reason why nature connection is so helpful in the soul discovery, purpose discovery process is because this is where we evolved, right, Polly? This is where when soul speaks to us through signs, symbols, images, synchronicities, dreams, all of that developed, that communication process itself developed through our human evolution as a species in relationship to the natural world. So when we immerse ourselves in the natural world, it 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 amplifies that entire process and makes it so much easier um, to access and, and typically asks us, as I was mentioning earlier, to face our fears and those kind of mini rites of passage I was mentioning, the cold, dark, wet, alone bugs. And this idea of a soul image is that there is a central image that an individual has. Now, again, there's various perspectives on this and certain folks would argue that there is only a single image, uh, and that, that we have, um, my personal experience has been that, um, I I believe that's true. And it's kind of like saying, well, does a purpose change or does our relationship and understanding of our purpose change? I think there's different ways to perceive that. And if it's, and, and these are all just models of being. So if, you know, whatever is most helpful for individuals. What I find is that, you know, I believe that there is a penultimate soul image, just as I believe there's a penultimate purpose and that we have. And I believe that our experience of that changes. And I, and my experience is that it it can change dramatically. For example, um, it was my second vision quest a year later after the inchworm story um, I was in the Green Mountains of Southern Vermont, here in the northeast of the United States, and I had this powerful—I won't get into the whole story—but I had a powerful, powerful encounter with a huge bull moose, you know, thousand-pound, mm. seven feet at the shoulders, gigantic antlers. This was in September, and a gigantic bull moose. I was on day two of my second vision quest, and a gigantic bull moose comes in and plops down, sits down. 10 feet away from me, uh, just out of sight behind these shrubs. And my heart rate went up horribly. <laughs> I was sure hmm. that it was there to kill me. You know, I was in this completely irrational fear-based place in my ego. Now it was there to kill me. It was there to kill my, uh, my old way of being, but it wasn't there to kill me physically. Hmm. And from then forward for years and years, I would, I th- I would have to say that, that moose was my, core soul image. That's how I experienced myself. And I could get into the details of the specific moose medicine and the things like, you know, how when moose are young, they're, they're, it's, it's, it's a deep struggle. It's very difficult for a juvenile moose to make it in life. And, and their, their big challenge typically in the arc of their lives occurs in the early years. And that was such a mirror for me facing my own abuse and childhood trauma and bullying and my parents' divorce, 
Um, I faced so many struggles early on in my journey, Polly. And mm. so when Moose came to me, it was this beautiful, and really struggling with self-esteem and all of that. And so when Moose came to me, it was this beautiful affirmation of, it's okay. You know, the struggles are in the early chapters of life for me. And uh, the the strength and the connection to gifts and purpose and, you know, all of that is is coming, is on its way. And, and just as a moose kind of enters its, its golden years as an adult. So... So I worked with Moose for a lot of years, and then it was maybe, you know, four or five years ago that I really had a significant shift in my soul image, and how I would describe my soul image now is, uh, there's a term I use, so it's White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary, Hmm. and there's a big, long story that encompasses a huge dream as well as two, uh, well, as well as a big soul encounter and and a, a, a significant vision quest over the last, you know, five to seven years. But my point being that, um, that was the working with Moose. It was a major chapter of my life and Moose is always with me. Um, but I mean, just to fast forward. So that, or that was my second vision quest. That was like still 20 years, 19, 20 years ago, fast forward 12 years. And I was on another vision quest where, um, you know, in, in in this realm of purpose discovery, physical waking reality can blend with the dream world and the imaginal world and the liminal world. Mm. So I was on a vision quest high up on a mountain in a scree field with uh, where the entire top of this mountain was boulders, anything from, you know, fist-sized boulders to like vehicle or even house-sized boulders. And there was one about the size of a car that I was, that was my spot. And underneath it, it was a bit of a cave and that I chose so that I could have access to that cave in case it rained. And on my first night, I was sleeping above. I was sleeping exposed. And uh, I was I was drinking water on this vision quest. Most vision quests involve drinking water. Some, there are um, water fast uh, or, or vision quests where, where an individual does not drink water. Those are advanced, and I definitely don't recommend an individual starts there. Uh, that can be very dangerous, but um, I have done those. Uh, anyhow, so I'm, I've got my water with me on this quest, and I fall asleep, and the water bottle's right next to me. And in my dream, the water bottle falls down into the crack, and I follow it. I somehow shrink, and it's quite small, and am now following, in my, this is in my dream, trying to find the water bottle. And I find this secret cave down there, and in the cave, there is this beautiful uh, spirit of the moose, from that prior vision quest. And it came to me in spirit form and there was a communication. This was not in English, but just a a deeper knowing uh, uh, that I had, it was like a graduation of sorts, Polly. It was like I had learned what I had to learn developmentally from Moose. And now Moose was presenting itself to me in spirit form, letting me know that I was I'd fully integrated its teachings and I could fully walk with that and and I was free to move on to this next chapter. Hmm. So this is a, again a bit of my story to help illustrate this idea of soul initiation and soul image. So I would say that not the inchworm but it was the moose on that second vision quest that was my first soul initiation. Hmm. And from that point forward I want to be clear with you I lived a very committed, soulful, purposeful life. I was 24 at the time, right? 
And I started my wilderness school. It was deeply spiritually driven. It was purpose driven. And, you know, I still had a lot to learn in life, but I was, I was not living an ego centered life. I was living a soul centered life. Hmm. And that, as I said, that continued for 10, 12 years uh, until that next vision quest. And it was at that point, um, Polly, because uh, just to help flesh this out a bit in my own journey, prior to that vision quest, the one where I, the spirit of the moose came to me in that cave. It was prior to that. I had had this very wild experience where, as I was mentioning, I've always been very purpose-driven. So at my wilderness school, Twin Eagles Wilderness School, I'd always gotten deep spiritual fulfillment from connecting people to nature. And, and the, in, it was just a month or two prior to this quest for the first time ever in my adult life, this is after 13, 14, 15 years of doing this work, you know, I had just, we finished a big uh, summer season and we ran hundreds of people, uh, kids through our summer camps and I'd trained dozens of staff. It was deeply changed people's lives, initiated their, their ecological awakening. And people were coming to me, thanking me profusely. Oh, Tim, you've changed my life. And that kind of thing had always given me deep fulfillment. But in this moment, Polly, what happened was I got all that feedback and it was, it was like nothing happened. It was like I had just washed the dishes. The level of fulfillment was gone. Mm. And so it threw me into this big existential crisis. What is happening? This is, you know, I, I was so, uh, all this anxiety came up. What is going on? I, is this no, no longer my purpose? Well, what's happening? I was, and so I, I knew it was time to go back to the vision quest and my mentors. And so that's what preceded that vision quest where I, uh, where I saw the spirit of the moose. And so what happened was in the bigger context, the reason I'm sharing this was I was evolving. It was time for me to move on and no longer could the, the structure of my organization, my wilderness school hold the fullness of my vision. I needed a new container, a new delivery system uh, to, or delivery vehicle to fully express my purpose that was evolving. And it was that time in my life after it was after that vision quest that I had completed the previous chapter, if you will, right, as signified by Moose and signified by that feeling of lack of fulfillment in my purposeful work at the wilderness school. It was after that that I got clear, ah, I'm here to help people connect with their purpose. No mm. longer can purpose and soul connection be a side effect of connecting or a secondary effect with connecting with nature. Now I need to claim that fully and be direct and forthright with people. I'm here to connect you to your purpose. The way I do that is through nature. And that's when I started my second organization, Purpose Mountain, um, that I'm still doing today. Mm. So... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Long way to answer your question, but hopefully this illustrates this for the listeners that we do go through these chapters mm. and uh, there can be those psycho spiritual emergency moments that are really moments of emergence. And when we're that's being held in an ecological container, container of connection to nature, um, I, I really feel like it's, it's the most important thing. Um, I mm. later would go on and I won't again, but just to complete the story for now, I would later go on to have a dream and then a soul encounter and then another soul initiation with a place that was, it, it looked like a, like a spring, like a sulfur spring for here in the United States, 
Uh, for folks who are familiar with Yellowstone National Park, there are these hot springs, these sulfur hot springs, and there's one called Mammoth Springs, and there are, it's like this terraced, like the staircased natural formation that is beautiful white, and um, these hot springs come out, and and based on the minerals and everything in there, they form these gorgeous, um, beautiful, natural occurring uh, springs, and first it was in a dream that I found this place deep in my kind of repressed recesses um, where these elders dressed in clad in white were dwelling and they had been protecting uh, my soul, my, my very core mm. all the years of my life. And this was revealed to me in a dream when I was doing some deep purpose discovery work. Mm. And then I went on a journey of a, a deep soul wander and I found an actual place at Yellowstone Park. I went to that place and it was a direct, it was the same place, right? And it was, I mean, it just, this brought me to my knees. It brought me to tears. It was the most sacred thing to see this. Um, hmm. And that was a soul encounter. This was kind of multiple soul encounters. First in the dream, a secondary one in real life. And then in the third one, the tertiary one was an, a, during a vision quest down, I took down in Death Valley. And again, I found a place that was, um, it was, it was another part of the place I saw in the dream in physical reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, and that became the location for my vision quest. And uh, when I found it, Polly, I just fell to my knees in the sacredness of it all was just so much. Mm -hmm. And I realized this is my place. This is who I am. And this word sanctuary kept coming up. So I've identified that as my soul image, White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary. Hmm. And it is both a physical place on earth. It is, excuse me, that I've actually found through my wild nature adventure adventures yeah. connections. Um, and it is a place in my dreamscape. It is a place in my soul. And when I'm most connected, um, sharing my gifts, sharing my soul level gifts with the world, living my vision, it is from that place that my soul expresses itself. Mm-hmm. And those elders, eventually it was revealed to me, um, were images of myself and kind of my core essence and as well guides. Um, uh, this is almost tied in with the idea of entelechy, if you will. This idea, is, I know you're familiar with this. This is mm-hmm. uh, Aristotle's terminology for uh, our greatest potential, right? The idea that being that the entelechy of an acorn, right? This is the classic example is an oak tree. So yeah. what is the entelechy of me as an individual? Mm. These elders in human form that, that showed up um, were my entelechy. And mm. it's, so it's like on the one hand, it's my deepest essence. And it's also this vision of what I'm moving towards as, a, as an individual. And it's always growing me. It's it's like terrifying and irresistible all at the same time. Like, mm. oh, it's like a magnet. I, I yearn to embody the image of these elders and this place mm. and the healing aspect of it and the, 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 the soul, its capacity to initiate others on the soul journey. Um, and it is me. It is me now and it's me in the future. And it's, it, it is my soul all at once, right? So... Um, yeah, again, maybe I'll pause there. Um, but that's how I would currently... Oh, so let me say one more thing. So that's how I would currently identify my soul image and 
also just wanting to point out for the sake of this conversation, that was another soul initiation. So could we say that the White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary was always my image? And that, you know, was the moose then what? Was that just another soul encounter, but a major one that lasted 12 years? Or was the moose actually my first soul image and then White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary a, a deeper refined version of that or advanced version of that? I don't know. And, and, and maybe in some ways, I'm not even sure it matters, right? It's kind of like syntax and, or semantics here, how we want to define specifically a soul encounter versus soul initiation. But clearly, they were major, major soul connection points on my journey that were major teachers and still are to me. Um, so, yeah. Um, but I think, again, I think that's a good point to pause and see how that lands. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm always so fascinated by how, how the soul images that come up for people are so fitting. Like this, these words, this sanctuary. Um, could you repeat the whole White Sulphur yeah, Springs uh, Sanctuary? Was that... Yes, White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary is, yeah. the, is the full uh, soul image name. Yeah, and it just it just feels so right for you from my <laughs> perspective also. Right, and right. and I that's my experience that it usually does. I mean, it may not yeah, make yeah. any logical sense, but right. it just right. feels so right. <laughs> yes, exactly, and that's one of the indicators of authenticity. Now we're talking about the realm of the soul, and I'm sure this is a conversation you've had with others. But right, there is no specific. Uh, there's no scientific way of proving that is my soul image, right? If we're looking for proof, uh, well, then that's looking from the ego, and that's a that's a losing game. But yeah. one of the indicators of authenticity is that deep resonance, that deep feeling of rightness, and that it evokes a strong emotional response. Yeah. It certainly did that to me. It, as I said, brought me to my knees. I was weeping at the, the yeah. awe of the sacredness of it. Yeah. And, you know, for our listeners' sake, you and I have done work together. And I've, I've uh, some years ago, I, uh, I, I, I mentored you and had the honor of mentoring you and supporting yeah. you on your journey to becoming a purpose guide. And so the fact that that resonates with you as one who's worked with me, and uh, we've certainly have a greater relationship than just this podcast, mm. um, is an indicator, right? And, and that's something that people can look for. I'm thinking about our listeners, you know, looking for that resonance both within you and the people that are close with you and that have experienced uh, your purpose. These are, these are a f just a few, there's certainly more, but those are a few indicators of uh, assessing the accuracy of, uh, of, of one's purpose. Yeah. 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 Really. Like if it's just something that makes sense conceptually, but doesn't really feel so much, doesn't evoke much of an emotional response, that's probably not not it. Right, yeah. Um, and also um, what I was pointing out earlier, that it, 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 it should feel like uh, uh, the classic description I like to use is terrifying and irresistible all at the same mm, time. So yeah. terrifying because it's calling me forward. Mm. How is my ego, Tim, ever going to embody... Uh, White Sulphur Springs Sanctuary. I, I don't mm. think my ego ever can. So it is yeah. by definition intimidating to my ego. Mm. And 
And yet it's irresistible because this is like the greatest thing I could yearn for. And I couldn't have ever possibly come up with that image myself. It needs to be surprising and maybe even a bit illogical, right? It's meant to surprise us. If the ego is not surprised or if the ego is comfortable with the image, it, that's not soul. <laughs> right? mm. that's, uh, because by definition, soul wants us to grow, wants yeah. us to change, wants us to be riding our edge. And mm. so as long as, you know, and, and does Moose, so Moose, and that's the other thing, right? Like looking back at, at kind of my unique story here with Moose, it no longer, like I'm at, I'm, I'm at peace with it. I mean, I, it, there, there was a time I was deathly afraid of this Moose, right? With my Vision mm. Quest story, the early one. And and at this point, I don't have that. You know, I have transcended that fear. And so, you know, perhaps that's why the soul image has taken a new form. Um, and it's not so much that I have fear, but there is this like intimidate, uh, maybe not even intimidation, but there is this, this clear sense of magnificence and greatness and something far greater than I, as an ego, like Tim, the personality could ever embody Mm. that calls me forward and drives me forward. And so, yeah, I think that's such an important indicator of, uh, of rightness uh, yeah. uh, on the journey of connecting with soul. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more things to talk about, but we are actually running out of time here. Okay. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so much to say. Yeah. But I would like to give you some space here in the end to share a little bit about your work and how people can contact you and so forth. Yeah. Well, and, and let me say one or two other things uh, mm -hmm. to help contextualize that. So I want to go back to this piece of why nature connection. Uh, I was realizing there's one, one other piece. I'll try and keep this short. So I think there's a great hazard, Polly, particularly for, and I'm thinking of facilitators of purpose discovery work, and I'm thinking of recipients, clients, and participants and programs and such, is that if the nature connection, if the ecological awakening, that was the third of the primary big ones, right? There was the holding, mm. the awakening to our emotional maturity. There's the, the soul and uh, awakening, awakening to our soul. And then there's the ecological awakening, awakening to, to our oneness with nature. If that hasn't happened first for the purpose guide, right? Mm. And second for the, the, the one being guided, the seeker, then the hazard is this, can a person discover their, their soul and their purpose without nature? Well, I think there's examples of individuals and organizations doing that. Mm. Um, and again, we kind of get into technicalities. Is that purpose? If it doesn't include nature, is it not? I don't know. But I think there's a very important hazard that needs to be stated, which is, and I've, I've worked with these organizations, right? That if nature, the nature connection is not on board, if the ecological awakening, awakening has not happened, then what tends to happen is the individual's purpose is not fully inclusive of the natural world. Now, they might get lip service. You might hear something like, oh, I'm here to live, you know, in balance with the earth or da-da-da. But even if there is specific verbiage in their purpose statement about uh, nature, you know, you can't shortcut the, the initiation into ecological awakening. You just can't do it. And, and the danger is that there will be a separation if that, if that connection to nature, that ecological awakening is not on board and their purpose 
won't be as robust or as full as it would be if that ecological awakening has been made. And the bigger danger is that their purpose will be, and this tends to happen, I don't, I don't think I could say all the time, but more than half the time, what I see is that if the ecological awakening is not on board and an individual is initiated into soul, then their, their purpose tends to focus on the human realm. And what it misses is the individual's purpose as it's specifically related to the more than human realm. Right. This is what I was talking about earlier. And mm. if we do that as a species, if, if nature connection is not on board, and even if we do initiate purpose in people, then the earth will be missed. Mm. And, you know, at the basic level, we're only going to protect what we love and we're only going to love what we have a deep relationship with. No. How are people even supposed to know about nature if they haven't made that connection? And if there are fears, then face those things. That's the same as the inner journey of facing the fears of our wounds or the fears of all the sacred wound and the sacred gift, the whole thing. I would offer this as an essential piece at this time. I mean, look at our world. The world is burning. I used to say that it was figurative. Now it's literally the West Coast <laughs> of the United States has been on fire this, this late summer and early fall. Look at the ecological catastrophe we're in the midst of. Look at climate change. I believe the most core way we can address that, the deepest way, is by initiating people, helping people to fall in love with nature, facing their fears, making that connection. Mm. And so, so that's really important. And for those people who feel that yearning, and so many people do, it's, it's the old statement, right? That we all get the call, but it's just the few that, that heed the call. Uh, there's the yearning for connecting strongly with nature to feel, as I said, to feel at one with nature, not as a visitor, not as a guest, but to feel I am nature. Mm. This is me. I am it. There is no separation to know that in your bones, mm. you know, for those individuals, um, you know, please reach out to me if, if that's you, if you're a listener and, and you feel that yearning, that calling, that is the yearning for the ecological awakening, just as we would talk about the yearning for soul. You know, if people are out there listening, feeling like, oh my God, you know, I, I know I'm meant for more in this world. I know I am more capable than what I am currently expressing. I yearn for that. I need to experience, I need to express that. Then, you know, look, look me up or look, look up Polly. Let, let's do, get, let's get you a purpose guide that can work with that and, and help you, um, initiate that that soul connection right hmm. um so those those two big things right the importance of nature connection and then really you know re i'm reaching out here to all the listeners and just saying look deep within feel for what you are really yearning for and take the courage to honor that find support find a mentor find a guide who can that you connect with that you resonate with that can guide you into those and and take that seriously. So, uh, so with that, I will segue into saying, yes, if people are interested in learning more about me, um, I offer nature-based purpose guiding through Purpose Mountain, and that's just www.purposemountain.com, just like it sounds, no spaces or dashes. Um, I've got some free resources on there. I put together a big, I don't know, 30 or 40 page uh, PDF, a purpose discovery kit that involves kind of some, uh, a variety of, um, 
invitations, including some uh, an invitation to the Soul Wander on there that people can check out. And it gives people, it's just a free resource. People can check out and uh, connect with me and, and just get a sense of my work. And if people are interested, uh, they can look at the various offerings I've got on my website there. As well, I will mention my wilderness school. I still uh, direct the school. I'm less involved than I ever have been before, but I'm still very much connected with it and uh, love that work still. And that's that's for folks who are really just looking for the ecological awakening. If This would be for folks who are not so concerned with the soul initiation and soul awakening. Um, mm-hmm. But that's Twin Eagles Wilderness School. Most of our programs are in person here in Idaho in the United States. Um, and people fly out these days from all around um, the world, actually, and as well as the states. And that's online at www.twineagles.org. Um, so, yeah, th- those are a couple of great ways to stay connected. And I'd very much invite anyone to uh, to connect further. Great. Okay. So thank you so much, Tim, for being on the Life for purpose podcast today yes absolutely it's really been my pleasure Polly. thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to this episode in the second part tim shares a powerful practical tool that can support you in your process of purpose discovery you can find that part in the members area of my website it doesn't cost you anything at all to become a member it's completely free The tool that Tim shares is called the Soul Sit. The Soul Sit is a practice where you commune with nature in order to get closer to your soul and in order to receive communications from your soul. Here's an excerpt from the second part. Imagine each of these experiences in nature is one unique way of soul speaking to you. What does the fern have to say when the chickadee lands uh, nearby and makes its, its call? What is it saying to you? What inner processes are stirring within you that are reflected by the natural processes? If you want to listen to the rest of the second part, you can either find the members area in the menu on my website, paulisari.com, or use the link in the show notes. Membership is completely free. You just sign up with your name and email address and receive a password. And that gives you access to all of the extra materials for the podcast. In the members area, you can also find a purpose discovery meditation. These are strong words, but I can almost guarantee that this meditation will give you at least some piece of new information concerning your purpose. I say that based on that this is what people again and again report back to me after doing the meditation. I hope that you will find it helpful too. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.